Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's guest, it's Baltimore Orioles manager Buck Showalter. Yes, Buck Showalter, baseball lifer. And boy, did we have a good conversation. Uh, Skype straight from spring training, and we ran the gamut. We talked about coming up in his early days uh, under Billy Martin, and we talked about his Basset Hounds, and we talked about all manner of fun stuff, baseball and non-baseball related. And you know what? I don't need to give you much more preamble because it's Buck Showalter, and it's made me realize yet again, by the way, that I need to try to get all 30 Major League Managers. John Gibbons. I got to get Gibby. But man, there's just run down the list. There's a whole bunch of them. I worked with Alex Cora. And uh, Aaron Boone on Baseball Tonight until 2 a.m. Multiple times for ESPN and other the managers of the uh, Red Sox and Yankees. Lots of fun. Heck, we could just do the AL East and have a lot of fun. So, yeah, we'll see what I could do to uh, to bang out more of these managers. But uh, if we're going to start somewhere, Buck Showalter is a good one. So here you go. It's the next episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast, and I hope you enjoy. All right, now we can go. Okay, Buck, you're on the clock, Basset Hounds. How did you get this into Basset Hounds? How many do you have? What is the love affair with Basset Hounds? How did this start? I googled Buck Showalter Basset Hounds, and it was a uh, it was a spire that I very much enjoyed. I enjoyed going through all the images. I love it. So, wh- how did that happen? How did that first come to be? Well, we started out years ago when we first got married, my wife and I. But uh, we have three now: um, Atticus. Nice. Huckleberry, nice. Huckleberry and uh, Otis. Otis. I'm sorry, uh, Opie. Uh, we've had a bloodhound named Otis. Started out with uh, Abby, a basset hound, but just uh, I don't know. They kind of get on, get in your skin and get into part of your life. And um, we don't think there's another dog. Very expressionful. You know everything they're feeling. Uh, great nose. Can't stay mad at them very long. Um, and I think most dog owners feel that way, but, um, there, there wasn't any great story about why we started there. Cause we always liked that uh, type of dog. I know I gave my, uh, wife a, uh, a trip to a Westminster dog show at Madison square garden one Christmas. And we got cool. to see the top, the top 12 basset hounds in the world. So that was cool, but there's no, you know, it's just something that we just kind of like hounds or something about them. Uh, very expressionful. I think it stands on its own. If you have a basset hound named Atticus, there there is no need for expanding on that any further. That's yeah. That was that was after Atticus Finch on uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. My dad reminded me a lot of Atticus Finch, and then uh, they all have a, a story behind each name. Oh. Otis the Bloodhound was after the, the drunk on Andy Griffith's show, and <laughs> Opie uh, Opie was uh, Ron Howard. Like of course. Um, I want to, we talked about you, people you can't be, or beings you can't be mad at for very long, and we'll flip the script a little bit. You came up under Billy Martin, 
And Billy Martin, in my mind, might be the most underrated manager of all time. He should be, you know, Hall of Famer for his accomplishments. Uh, just he, it feels like his reputation came up as, as a guy who was angry as opposed to a guy who was a brilliant tactician and a great developer of talent. What was your experience uh, being around Billy? What did he bring to the game? You know, people miss so much about that. They think he's some cartoon character that got in fights all the time and didn't really, you know, had a shtick that he was such a base. He was so far ahead of his time. He had such a great feel. A lot of things that are going on now, uh, he was doing years ago. But, uh, I think what people miss is what a great sense of humor and how, how funny he was and, and that he had time for young people. A lot of, a lot of young managers, uh, you know, a lot of veteran managers really don't want to give them the time and um, maybe are a little intimidated by some of the new things that were going on in the game, just like now. But uh, Billy didn't care. He had a lot of confidence in uh, his feel for the game. And, you know, pointing out all the things to evaluate players that, that take it so much for, much further than a stat sheet. You know, Billy always uh, made you feel like he could take his and beat yours and then take yours and beat his. He was a real uh, – but, you know, we all have our faults. Billy was aware of his, but uh, managing a baseball game wasn't one of them. He was always a step ahead and, um, you know, obviously liked to win a lot and was willing to do the things it took to uh, separate himself. When you say it was funny, was it like a dry sense of humor? Was it, you know, jokester kind of thing? Like, how did that play out? Because I've heard that from other people, too. But, you know, how that manifested. I think, he, I think he, was easy to, he was easy to laugh. He didn't take himself nearly as seriously as people think. Hmm. Um, he uh, um, he enjoyed a good joke. He, uh, you know, he could cackle and have a good belly laugh with anybody. But, you know, I think he knew when to, to be serious. But uh, he could see some humor in some strange situations. You know, between Billy, your own experiences, your own influences, it feels like there's just a lot of managerial DNA built in, baked into this whole thing. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, the idea of tactics versus running a clubhouse. You know, this gets talked about a lot. We're in a more analytical age, obviously. There are all kinds of ways you can go. You know, you're one of the first people who really made a point of getting into the bullpen nitty-gritty and, okay, this is what we're going to do in this inning, this is what we're going to do in this inning. What do you find more challenging? What requires more skill and experience? Is it running 162 games and making those decisions? Or is it handling the 25 to 50 personalities over the course of six, seven, eight months? Well, you know, the easy answer is both. But uh, both both of them will separate you if you're not good or good at it. So um, I think the challenge, uh, you know, dealing with, with well, really, it's about 50 by the time the season's over, yeah. different personalities and different people. Um you know, the decisions and during the course of the game, a lot of them are kind of made for you. They're not necessarily uh, brain surgery, but, you know, the consistency and the culture and the, and the atmosphere that, that, that you have on your club and in your clubhouse, you know, what separates us is that we play, you know, 162 games, really over 200 games counting spring training. And, um, you know, it's unlike any other sport. So all those intangibles really are separators and, uh, um, you know, that's, a, and there's not some blueprint where you, I find myself constantly adjusting to the personnel as opposed to, you know, asking them to, uh, to adjust to me. Well, it feels like you adjust quickly too, because at each of the stops you've been at, you've taken over a team that's been 
you know, maybe in a rebuilding phase or maybe in some kind of a down phase, and success has come really quickly. Is that a matter of your adaptability helping out? Have you just happened to coincidentally come across teams that were young and were on the precipice of breaking out? Why or how is it that you think the teams have not only been successful when you've managed, but it's happened rather quick. The turnaround seemed to happen quick again and again, whether it's, you know, Arizona or, or Baltimore, it's happened multiple times. Well, I appreciate that. That's, you know, it's usually about players, you know, your timing is good. Uh, I'm very careful to, you, you find a good situation, you'll find somebody that took a lot of bullets to get it right. And a lot of that work went on long before you got there. So I try to be respectful of that and uh, realize that there's a lot of people who have great ideas and and are capable of doing this as well, if not better than you. So, you know, that's not trying to be humble. That's just fact. And anybody that thinks they've got all the answers, but, you know, it, it's, it's about willing to, to do the work. There's a lot of people that give it lip service, but they really, when it comes down to it, aren't willing to, you know, try to out relationship, out opportunity, out, you know, there's some things regardless of your payroll and that you can, be willing to do that, that helps you separate yourself, but it's all about whether or not the players want to buy in and you got to have a certain amount of ability in order to make those things work. The let's go to the concept of bullpens because I really think this, this deserves some exploration here. It feels like you, Tony LaRussa and you know, predated you slightly, but it feels like you two were the ones who really got going with, okay, seventh inning, maybe not even a lefty on lefty. Could be, we need a ground ball guy. We're going to bring in this guy. The, the ability to come in and tease out the right matchups and have your team play a little above its head, uh, because of handling a bullpen really well feels like it's come to the fore, but it, it seems to have taken a while. And now finally we're at the point where, gosh, relievers eat up a lot of innings, way more than they used to. Starters, you know, it's a sixth inning time to pull your guy. Why do you think it took, it took so long from La Russa really, you know, the honey cuts of the world and all that stuff to, here we are finally, and everybody's adopted that approach, and everybody's just bullpen, bullpen, let's go out and get five guys every offseason trying to beat you with bullpen. Why did it take essentially 30 years? Why do you feel that Tony and you uh, were so far ahead of this thing, and it took so long for everybody else to, to kind of get to that same approach? Well, those guys, I think one of the things evaluating, as a, as a coach you're and a manager, you're trying to put guys in a position that best suits their skill set. And the ability to evaluate, like you mentioned Rick Honeycutt and Eric Plunk of, you know, I can go on and on about different matchup guys and, and creating the situation where you can uh, put them in a position to be successful. I think that starts, you can't get the, you know, the cart in front of the horses. You've got to make sure that you know what certain guys can do and put them in the position for them to help the club and be, and, and contribute. I think that's, that's the challenge is, uh, is being able to evaluate who's can do that. And you see a guy that can't do certain things, you know, dwell on what they can do. You know, don't be afraid to like a player and it's up to you to put them in that position where, where they're, where they can prosper. So, um, I don't know. It, it's, you got to have the, the horses to do it. You got to have the right situations, but you can create some situations too that, that, that help your players. And that's not just pitchers either. That's, that's uh, hitters and that's uh, defenders. Well, and it's interesting about horses too, because it feels like there's a tendency to say, okay, well, we got to go out and spend 60 million. The way Davis is on the market, we're going to go get him. Uh, you know, we're going to go sign a guy and we'll find that way with horses. But, you know, looking back at the bullpens that you've managed, Zach Britton was a converted starting pitcher who was a ground ball guy, not necessarily a big strikeout guy, you know, 
It's not like Brad Brock was – he wasn't Dennis Eckersley in his prime. You know what I mean? These guys – you say you need horses, but I feel like, uh, you know, you along with the scouting department of the Orioles and so forth deserve some credit for identifying horses. How – let me well, – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, go ahead. I think you have to be – first of all, you got to be a, not afraid to like players. Okay. You know, okay. I think coaches a lot of times that, you know, they – you know, in, in our meetings in the morning here, it's, you know, they know I want to hear about – you know, what do you like about this guy? You know, what did you see you liked in the workout yesterday? What do you think? And, um, you know, and be looking for something good. Well, geez, this guy has trouble getting right-hand hitters out. But, boy, he can get really get left-hand hitters out. Or, you know, this guy doesn't hit particularly well, but he can really defend or he can really run. And, you know, it's about – I think you're seeing more teams, especially with the ones with lesser payroll capabilities, putting together what I call a peace team. And you got to have pieces that uh, down below. As our depth comes from Norfolk and Bowie, it doesn't come from somebody else's players. And players don't want to see you constantly coveting other people's players, you know. And and there's there's cause and effect for everything you do. You know, you go out and sign an Andrew Kashner. You know, what are four starting pitchers that were competing for that job thinking in your locker room the next day? You, you've got to put yourself inside their shoes. Well, how do you manage those expectations, though, if you make a pickup at the deadline or you do something like that? Because and and there is an implication that, hey, buddy, you are might not be good enough for this job. That's why we're bringing you in. Do you have to now go out and talk to whoever the presumptive number five starter would have been and say, you know, we got cash and it doesn't mean anything. We want you to compete. I mean, do you have to give a pep talk today or tomorrow to discuss that? How does that work? Well, I call it the arteries of decisions. You know, you, you, when something um, happens – First thing I think about is is who does it affect and and uh, uh, about the conversation I need to have with them. And I, it's very easy uh, if you want to sit around during batting practice and talk to the guy that's hitting 300 and having an all star year. It's difficult to go out and right field with the fifth out there hadn't played in uh, you know a week or a relief pitcher that's really struggling or a starting pitcher that's really struggling. That's that's the conversations you have to have that really separate you. What's one thing that fans don't know about managing, but they should? Um. Oh, there's a lot more than one. I don't think people realize how fast the game moves. Yep. From pitch to pitch, and you know, and you can never assume anything at at the major league level. You know, a five run lead and about ten pitches can evaporate. You've always got to be thinking, what if? What if this happens? What if this guy I'm bringing in can't gets hit with a first pitch line drive? What? If, what if? Uh, you, you can't, you can never assume anything. The game moves so fast, and um, it it's not like a monopoly because, you know, what happens when – because what happens, there's a lot of, I think, organizations today that are trying to script the game. Yeah. And that's fine and dandy, but when the game gets off script, what do you do? And when this guy that was supposed to get this type of hitter out doesn't do it. Uh, when this guy is supposed to catch a ball and doesn't catch it. I mean, whatever. There's When games get off script, can you maneuver on the fly? But you've got to be thinking about those things before they happen. If you, if you wait too late, then shame on you. You should have already seen it. Hmm. Well, and or or more, more importantly, prepared for it. It also is interesting to me. I would imagine that when you're starting out in this gig, maybe you're starting out, you're managing in Great Falls or whatever, and you're thinking about, Oneana. Oh, there you go, Oneana. Well, that's near Cooperstown, pretty up there. So you're thinking about that stuff, and I imagine that fear has to come into it. You, you know, you cited the five-run lead, and there's the eternal temptation to bring in your your fire-breathing closer who throws 99, 
I'm not going to let this game even get a sniff of whatever, but you got to manage a fire breathing closer maybe into October or September. Oh, well, yeah, every you, game, you know, you there's four the times fear, you manage. There's four times, there's four times you manage. You manage in spring training. Yeah. You manage in regular season. You manage in this god awful thing called September call up baseball. And then, then you manage in the postseason. Every situation calls for a different approach. And, um, you know, you've got to make those adjustments as you go. So, uh, the big, the thing that fans don't realize what's different, so different about our sport is that you play every day. And, you know, yeah, they used your pitchers, your bullpen differently in the playoffs. But if you tried to do that during the season, they wouldn't be able to scratch their butt by, by May 1st and you'd have half, half your bullpen on the disabled list. So yeah, that's real convenient to say all these things, but you better be about 25 pitchers deep because you're going to need all of them because they're going to be on the DL. I hate September call-ups too. What are we doing about this? Do we just go with like a 26 man? Let make it like hockey. You have like a 27 man roster. You can bench two guys and that's it. Everybody has to have exactly 40. Keep it at 25. What, what's your solution if you're the commissioner? Well, I hate people that complain about things and don't have a, uh, what their solution is. You yeah. don't have to agree with it. I, I just think you should name a 25 man roster for every three game series. Yeah. You, know, you can call up, you can call up all 40 guys to keep the union happy with their service time and before every series, you designate 25, three of which have to be starting pitchers. And if there's an injury during the course of that, there has to be an independent doctor approve of, of replacing that guy. And you prepare for 25 for every series, and the fans know who's going to be playing, what your options are. Because all you're doing now is just picking your poison, and it makes the games a lot longer. But you should be able to designate before every three-game series or four game series or two game series. Here's our 25 that we're going to play against the Red Sox. And it solves all the problems that they've had. And, but let them call up all 40. It's just that you can only designate 25 so they can get their service done. I like that a lot. That's a good solution. Uh, just have a few more for you. Both you and I are former baseball tonight colleagues of the great Tim Kirkchen, who might be my favorite person in the entire industry. He's fantastic. And but think of, think about why though. Cause you know, but, Tim's not mean. He's not mean. He's very knowledgeable. He walks in a locker room. People uh-huh. respect him. Uh-huh. He's not looking to uh, ridicule or make fun of somebody. Timmy is a knowledgeable guy. And when you walk by a TV, you see him talking, you take it off mute because you know he's yeah, I can't tell you how many times he's called me and said, listen, would I be right or correct if I was writing this or saying this? If it's not something that was opinion, because Tim took a lot of pride in being accurate. And that's not always the case nowadays. It's both. He's a, a professional and he's unbelievably kind. And he also loves telling stories, both his own and other people's stories. So I said, hey, give me a buck story before we come into this thing. And he said that you guys once had a conversation and you said, Name a great player who had freckles. Is that is that a, is that a belief of yours that there's never been a great player in baseball history who had freckles? Because I started to think about it, and I couldn't think of one. Maybe I'm mistaking something. Maybe I can't picture guys with freckles. Maybe you know an 18, a 19th century player had freckles, and I didn't realize it. Is this true? Is this, there's never been a great player who had freckles? There's exceptions to everything. Yeah, but you go in to scout a player, and he gets rained out, or something happens where you're not or he gets walked four times because he's such a good hitter in, in high school or whatever and you're scouting there's about six or seven things you've got to look for that you can get an evaluation because you know your boss is going to want to know what you thought you want to hear you say it got rained out and uh tim and i used to talk about that and i just say you know uh blue eyes brown eyes uh thickness of the wrist high butt low butt 
thickness uh, width of the shoulders, uh, suppleness of the, suppleness of the hands. Did you sit with their mom and dad in the stands and get a feel? Did you sit, see their siblings? Um, did you watch them interact with their teammates on and off ball? It's just a, there's a million things that go into evaluation other than a stat sheet. A stat sheet evaluation is easy. Anybody can do that. We're all looking at the same statistics, the same analytics. So what's the separator when it comes down to it? It's who can evaluate the other stuff. And by the way, the answer that seems to be come up here is that Rusty Staub might have been the greatest player with Freckles. Was Rusty Staub a really good player or was he a great player? I think that might be the delineation. Well, and also, were they born with Freckles or did they acquire them because they're out in the ah, sun too much? Interesting. See, this is, this is good. This is going to require some analytics. All right, a couple more. Uh, what would you have done if you'd never been a player, coach, or manager? Anything in the world. It could be, and it could be a baseball related job. What would you have done? I don't know. Probably a teacher or a groundskeeper. I love uh, cutting grass, breaking the dirt. Nice. Uh, you know, good uh, facility, maybe even a golf course or, or teacher. I think I would enjoy being a high school teacher. My dad was a principal, so, um, had a pretty good background in education. I feel like, well, so, I mean, this follows then if you really enjoy groundskeeping and the fill of the grass or whatever, are you just absolutely vehemently against playing at the trot, playing at Rogers Center? Do non, do artificial services drive you bonkers? Or are you just like, all right, that's the game. That's what well, I, I think that's what people miss. Uh, our, our division has both AstroTurf teams still left, uh, yep. feels left in it. Uh, it's the hardest division to coach third base in baseball because. Oh. Because uh, the ball gets to you quicker in the outfield, but yet they're making longer throws, so you have to judge arm strength more on turf. Uh, Fenway Park, you got the little left field. Yankee Stadium, you got the little bitty right field. I mean, Yankee Stadium's turned into you know a little bitty bandbox. The balls, you know, little fly balls are going out of there to right field. So, and co- you know, coaching third base is so hard in our division, um, but um, you know the turf fields. You know, would I rather play on turf field instead of getting rained out? Tampa's the best. I think Tampa is as good a pitcher's park as there is in baseball because yeah. of the foul ground, the turf, the, the lighting, the big alleys. The ball doesn't carry. Uh, pitchers have a lot of advantages there. They grip the ball with the same uh, moisture, so to speak, in the air. So um, now there's there's pluses and minuses to all the parks in our division, but the turf feels, the AstroTurf is so much better now than it used to be. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't have near the complaints about it than, it than it was when I first started out. Yeah, you manage games at Olympic Stadium. I think that's all you need to say about artificial turf. Well, there's, I think the Kingdome, different places, they should allow me to push the plunger on the Kingdome. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, one last question, which I do at the end of every podcast, is I always ask the guest for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, something that uh, – you carry with you. I meet you in a bar, and I say, I'm Jonah. You say, you're Buck. And I say, Buck, what's your deal? So what's your deal? Jeez, I don't know. Uh, it could be serious. It could be not serious. It could be something, you know, it's a mantra that you have, or it's a silly little superstition that you have. You can be anything in the world that you want. Oh, it's always, uh, you know, treat people like you'd like to be treated. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. Sometimes you're trying to realize that everybody – you know, we're all just trying to get along. I don't, uh, I don't take myself nearly as seriously as some people may think I do, but, um, advice for you, a mantra? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about that because I wouldn't want to give you some, uh, stock answer. 
Yeah, well, we can we can run back to that. All right, so that's that. Let's let's run back to that. We'll take thirty seconds at the end to run back to that. Um, who is the greatest player you ever managed? Oh, that's still going to happen down the road. Really? I don't, you know, you know, comparing all those guys, you know, no one had better makeup than Don Mattingly. Nobody yep. had a be- better arm than this guy. Nobody, I mean, you know, there's not a better third baseman uh, in baseball than. The Machado. I mean, yeah. it's an honor to watch him play, and now I get a chance to watch him play shortstop. So I don't, you know, these are the best players ever. But uh, two years from now, they'll be the best players ever. And I'm not one of those guys that, you know, Brooks Robbins would be the first to tell you that Manny does things at third base that he he couldn't do. But um, now it's uh, I've, I've had some great pitchers. You know, if I said Kurt Schilling, then. Uh, am I forgetting Randy Johnson? If right. I said, you know, if I said, uh, you know, Matt Williams, am I forgetting Manny Machado? I mean, it's, you know, that's why the great honor of being around so long. I've got to see some great players and you see the similar things in all of them. So it helps you evaluate as you go forward. I'm going to interpret your answer. You're saying it, the, that we still haven't seen the best player that you've managed. That means to me that the Orioles are going to sign Mike Trout in three years. So I'm breaking that story. I'm declaring it right now. That you guys are after Trout, and this is what's going to happen. Well, if that if that, that means you think he's the best player, you know, if you think he throws well enough to be in that category, you could you could certainly make that argument. All right, well, let's try to circle back and see what we could do. You got uh, you got anything for us in terms of uh, a life path to follow? Something that you you wake up in the morning and motivates you? Uh, you know, maybe it's a way to you know be calm well, you know, pressure, I, whatever it is. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I just, you know, I always try to tell our guys, you know, what do you bring that we can't get off every street corner? You know, what separates you? Can you outwork people? Can you out relationship people? Can you out, uh, you know, what do you want? What can you bring? You know, what's, what, why can we, why are you indispensable? You know, what, why can we not find somebody to do that? And I think that's, you know, it's not that you're trying to be different. You're trying to be trustworthy. You're trying to bring things that people, want to surround himself with. And that's more than just knowledge and, and uh, experience. It's also, you know, your personality relationship you have and how you treat people who can be of no possible use to you. You know, it may be the, may be the groundskeeper. It may be the, the parking attendant. You know, what did they say about you? And quite frankly, I ask a lot. Of, I ask the clubhouse guys, I ask the parking attendants about players that we're thinking about signing and it paints a pretty good picture for you. I go back to their high school coach or something or their homeroom teacher. I like that very much. And I, if I had a choice between watching you play or spend two hours with your mom and dad and be right about it, I'd probably spend some time with your mom and dad. Buck, this has been great. Thank you so much, and I wish you the best of luck this season. I hope I, got, I hope you got what you needed, but I appreciate you having me. Sure did. Take care. Okay. Thank you.